Views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. What's the 411? You're tuned in to 411 Teen, a weekly program for teens, families, and other interested folks. 411 Teen provides a forum to examine and discuss various issues and events that confront intersect, and sometimes interrupt our daily lives. I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield. The toll from Hamas, October 7th attack in Israel, is at least 1,400 people killed and 5,400 injured. The Gaza Health Ministry said at least 8,700 people in Gaza have been killed in the conflict and more than 21,543 wounded. Settler violence against Palestinians in the West has reached a record level after October 7th attack. Two hospital vicinities and refugee camps have been bombed. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has rejected calls for ceasefire, emphasizing this is time for war. Again, I'm Dr. Liz Hollyfield, and joining me via Zoom platform, I welcome Mira. Hi, thank you for having me today. Amir. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Zila. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Layla. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be here. Kareem. Hi, I'm glad you have us on here to share our views on this platform. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to come. I can't express it or not. The American media tends to cover many events in Israel. However, the status of the events in the Palestinian territories has been difficult to determine. As of late, the coverage of the plight of Palestinians has increased some. It appears to me that Palestinians have no ultimate power over their lives. They have no nation. They have no citizenship. They live in oppression in the West Bank and Gaza. Prior to October 7th, <clears throat> pardon me, what was life like in Gaza before this Hamas attack? Will you share with me? I know at least one of you have, have lived in Gaza. Would you just share with the listening audience so that we have an idea of exactly what it was like before all this happened? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. I haven't been in Gaza. Well, I have. I, I went back to visit in 2021, but I kind of left in 2009. Okay. Uh, and the pretty much they turned Gaza into like an open prison in 2006 when Hamas took over power in Gaza. And ever since, the situation has been deteriorating since then. They cut off the supplies from the outside world. They don't. They control pretty much everything that goes in the city and outside the city. Like, if you are a Palestinian that lives in Gaza, you have to get a special permission to get out. And that's from you, permission from your authorities. They get permission from the Egyptian authority, which they kind of, they have to get the permission from the Israelis. And the same mm-hmm. thing in the West Bank, too. And that's been happening since... 1967 it's not nothing new really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um before that i've seen wars i've never seen a war like this everybody i talk to they tell me this is nothing like you've seen before and i believe it like i mean i've seen it on, on 
on the TV. I see the videos of the bombing and the kids and all that. It's it's heartbreaking. I've seen some of that before when I lived there, and it was horrific. And as a child living there at the time, that's all you know. That's mm-hmm. like this is this is your daily life. You're used to it. It's now looking back at it. I've been out for 13, 14 years, mm-hmm. and it scares me just looking at it. You know, but at the time when I was there, that was normal. Imagine all the other kids over there now. Yeah. I, I I really I've lived it. I've I've left Gaza when I was 17 years old, and I still can't imagine what they're going through right now. They cut off the water, cut off the food, electricity. People have nowhere to go, really. And that's not that that's nothing. Something happened after mm-hmm. October 7th. It's been happening mm. for generations. And I appreciate you sharing that. Anyone have any other comments they want to share? Um, I lived I lived in Gaza City my whole life. I lived since I was born until I was 18. So I lived 18 years. In these 18 years, I've seen seven wars, like mm. witnessed them. I survived them. And one of them, my house actually was bombed and my mother was injured. And my mother is Egyptian. So she had nothing to do with any any organizations in Gaza. So for me, like, this didn't start October 7th. They keep saying October 7th. This have nothing to do with October 7th. We've seen this many times. We've seen it. We see it all the time. This is not the first time they cut water. This is not the first time they cut electricity. They control every single thing in Gaza. We do not have power over anything. Okay, That's true. And that's what I, I hear. You know, there's there's no Palestinian representation. You have no self-determination. You know, have no equal treatment. Um, education, health care, infrastructure, policing. I mean, you have absolutely no control. And that's what I wanted to find out if what I'm hearing, you know, is indeed, you know, accurate. Um and that I thank you for sharing it. Yes, you had something you wanted to share. I'm here. Oh yeah, I was thinking it's actually it's probably a lot worse than what you would think an average person think. Mm-hmm. It's it's I, you, I can I lived it and I can't imagine it. <laughs> and yeah, also, can... go ahead. yeah go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, go honestly, ahead. Just, a lot just, about what I was gonna uh, say. Well, just so, think, um, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I, my name's Kareem. Um, I'm born and raised here in the in Florida, okay. uh, but I've had the opportunity to go visit Gaza, Palestine, quite a few times as both of my parents are from there. Um, and it's extraordinary as a child to even know how hard it is to get in to the Gaza Strip through the Rafah border. Um, really? You know, you have to get a lot of paperwork done prior. They have to allow you to come in, like Amir was saying. Um, and when you get there. You know, born and raised here in the U.S., we take a lot of things for granted, water, electricity, mm-hmm. uh, safety, everything in between. Um, and in the short visits that I stay there, whether they're three months or two months for the summer, um, the few times that we went, you know, you do see casual bombing. You know, in 2005, when I went there, I was 15 years old and I couldn't I couldn't fathom the fact that they're just bombing a city randomly in the middle of the night just because. And everybody was not scared. Everybody's like, oh, it's okay. You already saw it, so you didn't die. You know, mm-hmm. this is this is the lifestyle that they're in. And, you know, this is way prior. This is, we're talking in 2005. 
Uh, life is very difficult for the people there, and they have no opportunity for a better future as they're blockaded in by every aspect, whether, you know, it's the walls around the city, whether it's in the ocean where you can see the battleships as you're swimming from the fishermen that are coming in saying, oh, you know, we couldn't go any further, so we couldn't really catch much fish because, you know, they're shooting at us today. Um, and so it's, I mean, yes, ma'am. I was going to say, and isn't there a restricted area only so far you can go out swimming? Yeah, okay. uh, yeah, swimming, I mean... And fishing, they only allow a certain... Um, I, I think it's only three kilometers. Oh, okay. Only three kilometers. It depends how they're feeling that day. Yeah, oh, that's true, though. So and, and, even, and even the allowed uh, kilometers that the fishers are allowed to go, very casually, once a month, at least, a fisherman is killed. Just because. Palestinians get killed anywhere, anytime, just because... <laughs> It's not just in Gaza, in the West Bank, too. And that was my next question. So yeah. is there a difference between the West Bank and Gaza as far as what you experience, how you are treated? No. Oh, sorry. No, so in Gaza, we don't have any any Israeli soldiers with us. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's it's an open prison. And for the prison Israel. guards are outside. Yeah, and, and they're just outside. So we don't see them face to face. Okay. But in the West Bank, now Mira can tell you way more about it. Okay. Yeah, there's like this misconception that everything is happening because of Hamas control. And that is so not true because I live in the West Bank and in Ramallah City, and there is no Hamas. We're ruled by the PLO. There is mm -hmm. no Hamas, but yet we remain oppressed. I lived here my whole life. I was raised in um, Tallahassee, in, in Florida. And I moved to Palestine, West Bank, for five years I lived there. When I arrived there, like uh, Karim said, I was, you know, took a lot of things for granted in America where I no longer had freedom of speech. I couldn't say certain stuff. I couldn't, you know, express how I felt. Even the traveling means, me and you, we both hold an American passport. I could never travel on the Tel Aviv airport because I am Palestinian. So there's this form of racism and discrimination. And as an American, I know my passport is valid most places in this world. I've never had any problems traveling. When I arrived to Palestine, it's like I'm not allowed to go on a pass on an air, on an airport because I'm Palestinian. Since when? Like I'm an American too, and not just American lives matter, but also as a Palestinian, how can you restrict a whole nation of people just because of their race? And that's so wrong. And we know that. We know as a group, as a society, that racism is wrong, discrimination is wrong, but yet somehow it's okay over there. And even like. Like we took, for, I took for granted here traveling in between places in Florida, just going anywhere, driving my car, going to any city I wanted to. But there is none of that in West Bank without being stopped, without going through a checkpoint, without driving in your car and having a gun pointed at you as you go to Bethlehem to go visit the Holy Site down there, to go anywhere. Like it's not normal to walk past and see a gun pointing at you. And it's like, okay, mm. stay still, everyone in the car, because if you do one move that seems kind of off, they might shoot. And that's the mentality there. And I came and I was like, what is this? Like, this is, I've never seen this in America. I've, I'm not used to this. But sadly, all my classmates, this is their normal. And they were like, yeah, this, this is how we live. And this is not normal. This is so not normal. Especially for children, I think this is normal. It's not. So what and, I hear you say, let me just throw this in there. So what I hear you saying is, you know, all of this information that we're hearing about all the atrocities and things that are going on, it's supposed to be since October 7, is not true. I mean, the Absolutely. norm, you, this is the norm. You all have lived there, okay? And what I hear you saying is 
is the norm. I mean, this is this is just what happens. You know, education and health care and infrastructure and, and all of this is controlled by the Israelis. And you, as a people, have no control, no say-so over anything. I'm going to ask you to hold your thoughts for a minute. When we come back, we will continue. You're tuned in to 411 Team. And this hour, we are looking at what is happening with the Gaza-Israeli conflict. We're going to take a brief break, but we'll get right back at you. Tuning in, the program is 411 and this hour we are looking at the Gaza-Israeli um, conflict. I had to interrupt you, but let me just say this before we get started. I'm really confused because according to international law, an occupying force is responsible for the protection of the civilian population living under its control. What I hear you saying is that there's no one responsible for your protection. How yeah. does Israel ignore this requirement? Yeah, we are not protected in any aspect. They're, they're using anything illegal can happen in Gaza, and, and, and no one can say no to Israel. Us as Palestinians, we cannot even speak about this. Like a few years ago, we like if you ask me to do this interview, I won't. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I won't, I'll, I'll be scared because somehow they'll get to me and I, I might be hurt in, in any ways. But in 2023, I feel like I just can't take it anymore. Like I'm willing to speak up and something might happen to me. I don't know. But I'm, I just I can't stay silent anymore. Yeah, Israel is the only country ever to allow to break every international law possible and get away with it, whether it be in Gaza or it being in the West mm -hmm. Bank, because they do all the time. We don't have uh, trials. They they take, they arrest us. And that's our hostages, honestly. They arrest us. And there's no trial. There's no jury. There's nothing. We are under an Israeli court system and just thrown in these prisons. So, no, there is no international law followed in all of Palestine. And to I'm traumatized, and I one day I will get the therapy just to understand how is it possible for any type of people to live under this occupation and see all type of humiliation and for it to be okay. Like I just I cannot overcome this problem. Like it's it's just it's harming me. What what other country in the whole world right now is under any occupation other than Palestine? There's no more occupations. They they occupied all North Africa after World mm -hmm. War II and the Middle East, but Palestine is the only country that's still occupied. And the Israelis wouldn't even admit that it's an occupation. No. Yeah. To them, that's their that's land, true. and we're not supposed to be there. Another important point to to recognize here mm -hmm. is that Palestinians play no role in determining their daily life at all. 
whether it's for safety or not, Israel controls all aspects of all Palestinian lives, especially with the growth of number of checkpoints that regulates who can go in and out of the city is also a big thing. There are different levels of citizenships and passports, whether you're in the West Bank or you're um, in, occupy in occupied Palestine that all separate being an Arab, whether in no matter which area that you're living and being an Israeli. And there are laws that accurately all not accurately that there are laws that are continuously regulating Palestinians lives, how they can go in, how they can go out. It doesn't just stop at legal work and whether there's someone defending us when something goes wrong. The only reason we don't have anyone defending us is because Palestinians are seen as someone or as a people that don't deserve to be recognized and supported by the Israeli state. To them, they control the water, they control the electricity lines in Ramallah, in Gaza, like anywhere where there are Palestinians. And this means that growing up, Palestinians are expected to conserve water and electricity for the fear that it's going to be cut off. They're also, we, we grow in a society where we're not given basic human rights by the Israeli occupation, which controls all aspects of every day life for all Palestinians. There is no place in Palestine where you can have equal freedoms as someone with who's Israeli, even if you do have the privilege of living in the occupied territories, let alone be one of those people who live in Gaza, especially right now. So I was going to say, but I guess it doesn't even make any sense. The Geneva Convention established mm. a set of principles after World War II to, I guess, ensure that civilians would never again suffer as they had in the Nazi occupation. But that doesn't apply, right? That's what I'm hearing. No. None of that. No, nothing will apply to Israel. Israel is an apartheid state. It doesn't matter if you're Palestinian or not. I mean, you can look back just in history in 2003 mm -hmm. when um, the peace activist Rachel Corey was crushed mm -hmm. by a bulldozer uh, you know, on video. An American mm -hmm. citizen just standing there by peace was crushed. Nobody was ever held accountable. For Shireen Abu Akil, just recently, I think in May, she was shot as a um for the press um she was a reporter yes, from Jazeera. a reporter yes for al jazeera and she was shot on live tv no problem no big deal nobody was ever held accountable um and as mira and Layla were saying a little bit earlier the country is apartheid in israel i mean there's a different court system for palestinians you know they go to the um they don't go to a civil court uh they go to the um, army court type right just lost the word. Yeah, Israeli no, court that judge is Israeli and hates us is going to treat yeah. us less than any other Israeli citizen. Yeah, but they don't actually go to court, guys. Right. What they happens is by, uh, the British used to have a rule like back before 1948 when they occupied Palestine, and at the time they could detain any person, whoever, whoever uh, military person in charge of the area, they could detain a person. For a period of six months, it doesn't. They don't have to go to court, or it's just a detention for six months. And they could, if they want to extend it another six months, they can. But maximum a year. What Israel did, they kept the same rule, but they kind of changed it in their benefits a little bit, which they can detain a person six months at a time for how long they 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 pleases. They don't have to go to court. They don't have to be convicted, but they will be detained. Six months and then six months and then six months, however they please. They don't have to let the person out at all. Well, I know Jimmy Carter, God, that must have been over 50 years ago, described Gaza 
as an apartheid state. And to hear you all say that it's that indeed is the case, it still exists, is is distressing, if nothing else. Because I guess I don't even need to ask this. I keep going, what power do Palestinians have? You're Absolutely. not free to travel. You, you talk about rights. What rights do you have? Don't, we don't have any rights. None As at all. Even when you talk about travel, even if you're out of Gaza and you have the luxury of being able to exit the country, travel is restricted for Palestinians. Palestinians do not have access to an airport. They're not allowed entry into any airport in the occupied in, in occupied um, Palestine. Instead, Palestinians are expected to travel out of Jordan, which is an intensive travel process and where you need to walk what we call the jesed or the bridge, the English translation. Mm-hmm. You walk on foot. Which is, which is a three checkpoint, three checkpoints that connects Jericho to Jordan, where if you're lucky enough to be able to travel, which isn't for everyone, you need to go on foot through a checkpoint or through a bridge between Jericho and Jordan, and then commute to an airport in Jordan, and then tra- go to your travel destination. And that's only if you're one of the Palestinian people who are lucky enough and able enough to exit the country. And many people are not like Palestinians don't have any travel rights. Well, who like I'm from Gaza, I cannot visit the occupied Palestine. I've never been there. Can you imagine living oh. in Texas and not being able to go to Florida? I just can't. She can't visit <laughs> the West Bank. <laughs> yeah, and even like us from the West Bank. Can you imagine that we live? We our country holds the holiest land, Jerusalem, and it's home for Christians, Muslims, and Jews. It's special to all of us. I've been there twice on special permission, and I was only given a day to go visit. So, you know, I ran over there to go visit my holy site, but it's not fair. We are 30 minutes away living from Jerusalem. I can never go. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to go again, like in these kind of conditions. I've never even seen it. One time I I left Gaza through Ailes border, and I went through the West Bank, but I had... I think 12 hours to get out to, f- from the Jordanian part. Well, who and speaks all- for those Palestinians? I mean, I have, <laughs> I mean. Nobody. This is, <laughs> there's a lie that they, that they did in the Oslo, Oslo in 1993, where like they wanted oh, yeah. to make two different states of the Palestinian states and the Israeli state. Now, there is an Israel and all the world uh, acknowledged that, but there is no Palestinian state. <laughs> There's and a Palestinian the authority, which they kind of are kind of controlled by Israel. Whatever Israel and the U.S. wants to do, that's what they do. We have a president for Palestine that's controlled by Israel. Oh. He cannot speak before he gets the the list of what he's going to say from Israel. Yeah, so even if we wanted to pass some Palestinian law or give us some rights under our law system, it has to be approved by Israel. Everything goes through them. There is no Palestine. There is no Palestinian law. It's everything through Israel. Living under these these hardships is what led to the Intifada, if I'm correct. You can correct me if I'm yes. wrong, from what yeah, I understand. Yeah, agreement because they didn't yeah. carry out their promise. Right. And talk they about the Intifada is rarely addressed in the American media. You know, we're talking about an, an uprising, a rebellion against the hardships under which you live. Right? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. When and you, if it keeps 
going like this, there will be more intifada. There will be more October 7th because people we're, we're like suffering. We're suffocating. We like we're not even living the very basic like human rights that anyone have. We don't have that. Can you just imagine someone coming to your house, knocking on a door and saying, get out. And you're going to, of course, say no, it's my home. Mm-hmm. And then like, no, get out. And then you're not, you're going to say no again. Then they're like, okay, fine. And they force you out with weapons. Can you imagine? Or let's say in Gaza, where they tell everybody to move south in a place that's been under siege for 13 mm-hmm. years or 20 some years. And, and, um, Nobody has a job. I think 70% unemployment or the highest rate of unemployment in the world. I'm not sure about that number. And they want everybody to move south. Well, how are they going to get there with no money? And where are they going to go? And yeah. how are you going to put 2.2 million people in the already, uh, you know, the land that's already so full and put them in an even smaller piece of land? It makes no sense. Well, and then they say move oh. south and then they bomb the south. Mm-hmm. The yeah. south this, I've, I, I come from Gaza. I'm telling you, the South cannot handle 2.5 million people. It's just it, like there's no way it can handle that many people. And even we if it does, care. they're bombing the South. They're bombing the, pe- the people moving from North to South on their way. They like I have a video of a whole car just exploding. Didn't you tell them move to the South? Well, they're going. They, they, <laughs> they listened and they were going. Why did they? What, why did you kill them? Like they didn't do nothing. They were actually listening to you. Oh, sorry. Well, uh, can, can you tell them how you guys get the warnings about, you know how us, the whole world, we have phones working. We have these services right. where we see that Israel announced, hey, guys, leave the north because we're going to bomb the north. Go to the south. But Jilan, tell them how they send this message to Gazans who have so, no So they control the service and they have already cut the service. People don't have electricity, so obviously they don't have Wi-Fi. So the only way they have is their phones. But sadly, they even yeah, cut, they cut that. Yeah. You cannot call people in Gaza. You cannot like, call your neighbor. How and do then, you, how do you go give right us here. a warning? They throw papers from the plane that just comes like to us as rain. Can you imagine? The sky mm. is moving papers okay. with warning. The IDF is telling you, my dear, please move to the south because we really care about you. It's like, like, really? You're throwing papers at us just to tell us move? Like, we're that cheap? How do you so assess? Mom, oh, go, go, ahead. go on. I was going to oh. ask how you assess the Biden presidency and administration to this point. You know, the United He's States has said, it. Israel, we're behind you no matter what. He's failed humanity, and he's he's complicit in this genocide and complicit in breaking every international law. This shocks me as a human being. Like, like how? Like we're so like we're so innocent. Like we're not just like any other civilians who like live in a country where they have rights. No, you actually should really, really feel bad for us. We got no human rights, and no one feel for us, and no one is standing with us. So you're going to back up. Israel, it's like we're like, guys, you, you don't need the United States to back Israel to bomb us. <laughs> they can already like bomb us by themselves. <laughs> it's like it's very, it's very sad to see a very great country supporting Israel committing a genocide on Gaza Strip. Like this just blows my mind. This, this is definitely a point that I'll be talking to my therapist about because like it just it doesn't make sense. Where's the humanity? Don't mm-hmm. people have feelings like us? Like, they don't? I don't know. 
And then, and then President he, Biden has been clear on his position with the Palestine, with Palestine Israel since the beginning of his political career. So it's not super surprising to see his unwavering support. But I think it's also important to notice that Biden promised an, and I quote, unprecedented package of aid to support Israel after the attacks mm-hmm. on October 7th. Mm-hmm. And the request does include $14.6 billion, according to NPR. Mm-hmm. But then Biden also committed to $100 million in humanitarian assistance to Gaza and the West Bank to support more than 1 million, 1 million people who have been bombed and displaced from all the bombing on Gaza. And it's important to focus here that while any form of aid to Gaza at this point is helpful, mm-hmm. to a large extent, this can be counterintuitive. The funding for Israeli military and Ameri- for the Israeli military and American weapons being dropped on Gaza outweighs any amount of humanitarian aid given to the Palestinian people by America ever. It makes no sense for Biden to be playing both sides when he's funding one side to bomb the other side where he's wasting $100 million because it's not like he cares about the people in Gaza. American media just tends to cover the events in Israel in any way or in Gaza to support the image of Israel. And it's not... It's not to support the image of the Palestinians. It's not to help the people in Gaza. It's just to keep the image of Biden as a quote unquote good president to the American people. And I promise you the aid trucks are nothing. Like they they, they allow very few aid trucks to enter Gaza daily. And they have like pasta, um, tomato sauce, band-aid, coffee. Body Seriously, like, like my mother lost her leg in front of my eyes. So now when I see a truck that has pasta and tomato sauce and Band-Aid, what am I going to do with that? How, how is that going to help me? I'm, I'm going to die full? At least I'm not going to die hungry? If I, if I may add to that, my mother sure. just left Gaza today. She was there um, prior to the war to go visit her elderly parents. Um, and so she just got out today with the, uh, quite a few other American citizens. And prior to the, her going out, I talked to her two days ago on the phone. I asked her, you know, how she's holding up. Obviously, it's very difficult. She explains to me, well, we're 50 people inside the house, Kareem. 50 people. She goes, well, so when we need to eat breakfast, if somebody just, if every person wants to have half a piece of bread, we need 25 pieces of bread, pita bread. Mm-hmm. She said, so that's just breakfast. She said, don't forget if we need to drink water or have a glass of milk or anything, you know. It's it's outrageous. They said we ran out of bread, so we decided to go get flour from the bakery because the UN had just brought in um, aid, and they brought flour. She goes, when they got to the bakery to pick up the flour to make the bread, the bakery had been bombed by Israel. <sighs> so that's where your humanitarian aid is going. It's going to, a, for instance, the flour that just got bombed. So not only was I sad there's no food, I was heartbroken that imagine we're thinking, oh, this the humanitarian aid is going to help them. But it's all for show. Well, they actually announced that they will bomb the aid that's coming into Gaza. Yeah. They said yeah. that. Just, just like they said they're going to bomb the hospital. And then they went on TV and said, oh, we didn't bomb the hospital. Oh, yeah. yeah. But they released I'm a tweet. Sorry, I'm really to sorry it. to talk about this. It might sound disgusting somehow, but... You know, the people who move to the South, supposedly they're in a safer place. Mm-hmm. They're suffering. They're alive, but they're suffering. They are 50 people in the same house with no water. If every person uses the bathroom one time. Hold your thoughts. Time, Hold your thoughts for just a moment. We need to take a, a quick break and I'll get right back to you.
Views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and contributors, and not necessarily those of WFSU Public Media. You tuned in to 411 Team. This hour we are looking at the Gaza-Israeli conflict. President Biden said that he didn't believe anything he heard from Hamas. His message has shifted dramatically over the past three weeks. He clings to the hope that the new year might give to the resumption of talks of normalization of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia, and then return to negotiating over a two-state solution where Israel and Palestine can exist side by side. I don't know a lot about it. I only know what you're telling me. But is that realistic? Because from what I hear, that's never going to happen. Why are we talking about it? It's There is a treaty for two-state solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why are we still talking the possibility of it being? It's been here. They did it in 1993. There's supposed to be two-state solution. And it's still until today. It's not happening. And it was... I think it was uh, President Clinton who did it. The two-state solution. They keep talking about that. This really gets the state and they get whatever they want to do. And the Palestinians, we just put them in the corner over there. Yeah, yeah, maybe one day we'll get to you. It's not happening. Israel has been condemned over 100 times by the UN for war crimes. The Palestinian Authority has never been condemned one time. And they call us terrorists. Yeah, the United Nations has said that, you know, they feel like they have committed war crimes, okay? Many times over the years. Uh-huh. They didn't feel like it. They they did commit the 150. It was, you know, it went through. And Palestinians since then have, have committed zero. White phosphorus is currently being dropped on Gaza. We all know, according to yeah. international law and according to the UN, that is illegal. Yes. Yeah, Why is it being dropped? That- they actually dropped the phosphorus uh, bombs when I was in Gaza in 2008 and 2009 when my house yeah. was bombed. We were like literally smelling that while moving my mom, while trying to evacuate the house. Like we like suffer so bad and no one cares for real. Yeah. In 2008, I've seen the white phosphorus in my own eyes and it just it keeps burning. It nothing can put it out. It burns anything. It was in my backyard. Yes. And then another point I want to bring up, like what does it tell you when you're sending to one country billions of mass destruction weapons and you're sending to Gaza humanitarian aid? Just think about that for a second. It tells you exactly who is the oppressor, who needs the weapons, and who is the oppressed, the ones that are pr- just crying and praying for humanitarian aid. Well, when does it stop, though? I mean, we talked about it. I think the, every time I write the statistics, it changes. When I first start, I wrote the statistics for this program, I think it was 8,545. And then later on today, I heard it was 8,700 people in Gaza have been killed and more than 21,000 have been, have been wounded, okay? Yet, you know, now we hear it changes and I guess I'm just trying to find out, what do we do? There's humanitarian aid. They say humanitarian, pauses, ceasefire should be considered. But Israel rejects this, okay? Uh, 
a well-known New York Times columnist, uh, what's his name, Thomas Friedman, warned Israel that they're making the terrible mistake. I mean, if if Israel has lost 1,400 people, let's say even ext- extended, say they've lost 2,000 people and, and 7,000 have been injured, well, Gaza has lost 8,000 people and 21,000 have been injured. I guess I'm trying to find out when do they stop? When they take over the land, they want the land, they want us out. They don't care about their hostages. You think they care to be bombing Gaza like crazy right now? No. Their whole purpose is to get everyone in Gaza gone, to claim their land and build a whole brand new city for tourism for them. That's the goal. So they'll stop when that goal is achieved or when the world steps in. And when our world leaders step in and stand for humanity, maybe that's when it'll end. No one ever can stop Israel. Israel stops whenever they want to stop. Not yeah. even the yeah, whoever leader can get in. No one. No. That's like every world leader is cheering them on. And like, v- great for you guys committing genocide. But we've seen change. We've seen people, we've seen countries take out their ambassadors from Israel, recognizing they're committing war crimes, recognizing they're breaking international law on the daily. So change is happening. And I just pray that it happens at a quicker rate because time is blood. Every second we speak, and as you said, there is no accurate death toll for Gaza. There are kids under the rubble. There are they did people an estimation of every 11 minutes a child is being killed. Yeah, that's insane. There is no accurate amount. And when I just watched a video right before getting on this call of a father trying to find his four dead children under the rubble. How terrible, how terrible, like not knowing where they are. And I found another Gazan post saying that it's a luxury if I find my dead family member's body in one piece. Can you imagine finding your your brother's head on one side and the arm on another? Like what what kind of tragic death is this? And plus, there is no funeral service. They can't even find their body for God's sake. What what kind of tragic death is this? What this is not normal. And there's no justification for anything. There is but nothing. How do we how do we what do we do? I mean, that's my how do we end this? If you're not gonna have a ceasefire. They don't want to enter this. There's too much money being poured into this. The American-made manufactured weapons that are getting sent over, over and over and over again, you know, and APEC approving everything and pushing people forward for this to happen. It's not going to end. And like Mita said, they don't care about their hostages. Otherwise, they wouldn't have dropped 18,000 tons of bombs on Gaza, which is one and a half times more than the U.S. dropped on Hiroshima, which was a nuclear bomb. And supposedly that was a huge mistake and should have never happened. But they're letting it happen now and not just happen now. They're doing 100% more. This also is about politics. There's something mm-hmm. really, really smart about the United States or the West trying to have a standing in the Middle East. And I think Palestine historically has been one of the major points where the Brits have occupied them, Israel has occupied them. Like It's a trend that keep, keeps going on, partially because it's a religious state, but also partially because having a standing in the Middle East is really, really smart for the United States and therefore will commit genocide. And I think even referring to what's going on as a war is a privileged perspective because it's not a war. It's not two armed states. It's not two equal Mm. sides fighting each other. It's people who have no army, no weapons, who are being bombed continuously. This is a genocide. This isn't an equal-sided war the way we've seen in the past. And I think it makes so much sense for the United States to pick a location in the Middle East that they see as vulnerable and dig their claws into it. 
And then they don't care about neither oh. the hostages nor anyone. And it's not everyone thinks it's a fight against Hamas, against yeah. this Islamic group. But they bombed the third oldest church in the world that's found in Gaza. They bombed it. Well, you touched yeah, on something I wanted. Not- you touched on something. What about Hamas? Tell me about Hamas. What are- Palace, you know, Gaza said Gaza Strip has uh-huh. 2.5 million people. Okay. I can tell you Hamas is maybe like not even a 1%. Mm-hmm. I do not know, me personally, I, all of my people are in Gaza. I do not know a single person that knows any person that relates to any person from Hamas. <laughs> Well, I know they were formed, what, in 1987, and they were for the protection of, of the Palestinians. Yeah, and, and they're not. Israel. Please? They... Hamas is just merely a result of the occupation. Hamas okay. is not the problem that we have in right now. Okay. Hamas is 19... a force that tried to defend, to defend the Palestinians. That's all they're doing. And then it's we... like you're calling the, the, Amer- the Americans... I'm sorry, the the independence war. These people are terrorists. Mm -hmm. No, these people are just fighting for their rights. Mm -hmm. They're fighting for the freedom of every Palestinian that lives in Palestine and outside. They consider themselves a resistant organization. But Israel loves them. Israel loves Hamas. Israel want to keep Hamas. Israel, a long time ago, they could have took Hamas out. But they enjoy it. So when Hamas does something like October 7th, They'll be like, oh, cry to the whole to the whole world and start killing us with no mercy. Hamas then, is just an excuse to ethnically cleanse us, like what Julian exactly. said. It's important to note the occupation, 1948 is the Nakba, which is known as the catastrophe yeah. in English, the Palestinian catastrophe. From 1948, that's the day of the Nakba, that's the day oppression began by the Zionist movement. 1987, Hamas is formed. So you see there's a big gap in years from 1948 to 1987 where these Palestinians were oppressed. And I'm telling you, each Palestinian, each one of us, our grandparents have stories that passed on to us. Our parents have stories that passed on to us. In 1948, my grandma was displaced from her village known as Abu Shusha. You will never hear about it, and I will never hear about it because it doesn't no longer exist. And Israeli settlement was built on top of it just to house only Israelis. And that happened prior to 1987, prior to the formation of Hamas. My uncle was abducted. Till today, we have no idea if he's alive or dead in 1971. Again, prior to Hamas. All these events that you are going to hear all prior to Hamas. We have been occupied. We've been suffering for so much more longer than that. And then Hamas came up. And then Israel's like, great, we have an excuse now to ethnically cleanse them. But they've been doing it all along. But now it's like, okay, they have even more of an excuse, you know? Like to convince the rest of the world that this is okay when it's not. But how and do we how do we end this? What do I mean from your perspective? You all know what's going on. You certainly know what's happening with the Palestinians. How is it no end? They tell you they wanna like finish Hamas. That's it. This war, their target right. is to get rid of Hamas, and that's a lie. Because if they really want Hamas, Hamas is underground. We all uh-huh. know that. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I just found out. I had no idea where Hamas is. I just learned Hamas is underground. Who are you bombing? Right. <laughs> Who are you yeah. Bombing? But I'm and still saying, what do we do? How I, do we end I, this? Behind the mask that is Hamas. And it's you can see that because Hamas doesn't really exist in the West Bank. And then you see even in occupied Palestine where Israel started arming settlers. And you see violence in the West Bank. And if it was strictly about Hamas, 
the violence wouldn't extend out, wouldn't extend the way it's extending. The violence is, Hamas is just a mask for Israel to use to continue ethnically cleansing and genociding the Palestinian people out of the land. This isn't really about making an end to Hamas. It's about gaining access to more land. It's about removing In the terms of defending so, so what I hear you saying, now to correct me if I'm wrong, what I hear you saying is the ultimate goal for all this is to push the Palestinians out of Gaza and I guess even the West Bank and to take over that land. I guess yeah, you they, push them, push them south safety. to wherever they can go, and there's nothing for them to come back to at they're all. They're dying for the or Palestinians that live in Gaza City to go to Sinai, Egypt. Uh-huh. And the West Bank people to go to Jordan. Okay. So, the, like, and there's a whole, like, um, agreement that Netanyahu, like, wrote, and he's trying to convince um Abdel Fattah al-Sisi the president of Egypt and he he um he gave him the the paper where he wrote like the whole plan and they they offered him to pay Egypt's debt just for That's the Palestinians in Gaza city to go live in Sinai in a desert okay. like what <laughs> ooh, ooh, like, what about us like we don't, like we're in the middle we don't want to go anywhere what's what's going on here like we don't want to go this is no, our no one wants to leave their home. No one wants to leave the only place they've ever called home. You want, you want to leave my gorgeous house and go live in a tent in a Sinai in 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 in, in Egypt? People think Gaza's like a as like an ugly, poor city. Gaza's gorgeous. This is why they're dying to have it. Oh. It's a whole city on the beach on the Mediterranean Sea. It is a gorgeous city. My, from my house, I see the I see the beach. It's like you're in Miami. Like it's mm -hmm. this, it's gorgeous. So they're dying to have it. And you want me to leave that and go live in Sinai, in a desert, in a tent? That's not fair. And I don't want to do that. So they do. The only other option they have is to keep bombing us, pressuring people to leave, or die. It's your choice. And that's what's happening. Gaza is connected to Egypt from the south. So, oh, yeah. you're trying to take the north. And then people cannot live in the south. With the 2.5 million people, there's no way can live in the south. It's just it's not well, enough. They, they don't want the people to live in the south. Their plan is to keep bombing the north, to push as many people back south. And then once they're done with the north and they go in with their army tanks, they're going to start bombing the south as well until they push the people outside to, to Egypt. Which They're the people already bombing the south. My, my whole family is from north of Gaza, which originally we're actually not from there. We're from the occupied lands of Palestine. I remember stories my grandfather used to tell me and how they left their homes and came to Gaza for shelter, hoping that one day they will go back. They thought it's going to be a week or two or it's like a war is going to go over. Two months maybe later, they, they'll go back home. My grandmother's kept the keys to her house. The house doesn't exist anymore, but somebody in my family probably still has the keys. Anyway, so I I talked to my family when the, this first started happening, and I asked my 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 family if they're gonna move. I have all my aunts and my uncles. I have hundreds of people that still in the south. They didn't go to the uh, sorry in the north. They didn't move to the south. I talked to my oldest aunt, which I think she moved. She, 
he was with my grandfather when he moved out of his land initially in 1948. She was a baby. She said, no, auntie, I already, I already moved. I already left my mm-hmm. house once hoping that I will go back. She was a baby. She had no control over it at the time. Right. She said, this time I have control and I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving my home. And she still is there. Well, I'm telling you all, I'm looking at, at the clock and we're just about out of time. And there's so many things that we have not addressed. I mean, I wanted to address how you all felt about what's happening nationwide at the universities. Um, You know, we're having a lot of protests. So you're going to have to come back. Um, Wanted to address how things have been handled here at, at Florida State. You know, what has the president said? And we just don't have time to do it. I'm look. I'm looking at the clock, and we are running out of time. Can um, I just say one sentence before yes. we hang up? Yes, you can. Make it brief. You asked about Florida State. Mm-hmm. The president has sent his greatest condolences to the entire Jewish community on campus, and has attended a vigil with them. And that, in spite of the attack after October seventh, and I recognize that no innocent sh- civilian should die and that we need to respect everyone. We are, I want to say, 25, 26 days into the war on Gaza. I've lost count, honestly, and I haven't received one condolence. This form of selective humanity is unacceptable from any president at any institution. And the fact he called us in the email anti-Semitic, I am not anti-Semitic. I am against a Zionist political movement that is based upon the principles of genocide displacement, oppression, and ethnic cleansing. I am not anti-Semitic. And for him to label us as that and as terrorists, and you can read the email yourself, he said that. Mm-hmm. It's just unfair. And again, 26 days into this war, not one condolence. I he hasn't even mentioned email to the Palestinian community. I got, to, I got to close, but I appreciate it. You all have to come back. It's time Thank out. You. For this edition of 411 Team, to my listening audience, Thanks for the privilege of your time and your ear. Tune in next week, same time, same place, to get the 411 on 411 Team. Four One One Team was produced by Dr. Liz Hollyfield. Technical assistance was provided by Evan Rossi. If you would like to participate in the 411 Team or have suggestions for discussion topics, call. You can listen to previous episodes of 411 Team at WFSU.org.